Welcome to this episode of Categorically Oscars. I'm Chris. And I'm Kyle. And we thought that we'd finish off the year this year by doing something a little different. Um, we are going to talk about films that have not been nominated for Oscars yet. These, um, This will probably be a series of episodes uh, talking about the films of 2021, or at least... Uh, the last 10 months of 2021, that have a chance of scoring Oscar success, either nominations or even wins. And we are beginning with the four films from 2021 that we both have seen. Um, I think we have some other films uh, under our belt as well, especially Cal, because he saw a lot during the London Film Festival. Um Indeed, yeah, yeah. These are not the only four we've seen, <laughs> but um, we've also been watching a few that that are going to feature in in upcoming episodes as well, um, and try and get a few in before the uh, the Oscar nominations come out next year. Yeah, and but today we are beginning with f- just four of them, and those four are Passing, directed by Rebecca Hall. Spencer, Tick Tick Boom, directed by Lynn Manuel Miranda, and Titan, directed by Julia Ducourneau. So we're going to begin with passing, going through these in alphabetical order. Um, this film just recently dropped on Netflix, and what did you make of it? It's interesting because we are we're starting with the most sedate um, film of the bunch. And then we're moving sort of, you know, in a frantic direction from then on. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think passing, I didn't know the story to this. This is a really old story um, from the 1920s by Nella Larson. She wrote the novel. um, And I was quite taken with this one. I I didn't know where it was heading Um, when I started watching it. I knew very little about it. Um, But... I kind of like that the way that it begins, um, you don't necessarily think that the characters are who they are. Um, I think it seems at the beginning that Irene, uh, Tessa Thompson's character, is a lot more comfortable with her race um, in that she's um, she's not passing for a white woman, whereas Claire is. Um and it it seems like Claire's the one that's hiding from what she views as a maybe you know a lesser background, and and that she's the one that's most insecure about being of color. But as the film goes on, you you kind of I think the film encourages you to reassess that view a bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, Irene definitely comes across more and more as being the one who's insecure and uncomfortable kind of in her own skin 
especially when she has those confrontations with her husband about the um, trials and tribulations, I suppose, of being African-American in America in that time. It seems to be the... Is it still in the 20s? Um, I wasn't quite sure if they had updated it a little bit. Is it set in the 20s? Oh, you know what? I'm remembering the I'm remembering the scenes where they are having to like sneak alcohol and stuff like that. So it's definitely during prohibition. So I guess they I guess they kept it in the late 20s, early 30s um after all. But anyway, yeah, um those scenes where he's trying to talk to their sons about lynching and all that and she is just constantly trying to shut it down um and how she won't allow you know, a certain word in the house, even though that means that they, as her husband says, her boys have to hear it the hard way, you know, from, uh, from white people. It's a, yeah, the, the reassessment of her character as the film goes on is definitely an inter one of the most interesting aspects of the film. Um, and Tessa Thompson is just, uh, brilliant, I think, as Irene. Yeah. I mean, they're both so good. Um, but yeah, I agree that it, it's sort of like the the questions that the film asks about what it means to be respectful of your own background um, is kind of interesting mm-hmm. or or your own identity. Um, those questions become sort of unexpectedly substantial uh, the longer the film goes on. Um, but Thompson's great. Ruth Negger, I think, is incredible in this film. Um, just because I think she almost like... It, it reminded me a little bit of, of Blanche Dubois, you know, <laughs> which is strange to say, but it, this sort of vibes in, in the way that she's, um, she seems so used to putting on a facade with her husband um, that, you know, the character of Cleb ends up becoming everybody's ideal person. She becomes everything to everyone. Um, and she's very savvy at knowing what she needs to be to get everybody on her side. Um so it it's it, I found it very strange how that character is very inauthentic, and yet you could also see that she's come from that you know class and an upbringing and envision that, and you know she is sort of a bit of a home girl at times when she needs to be, um, and that's probably when she's most comfortable as as a person, honestly. But then she'll she'll very soon go back to this sort of gregarious lady of leisure life and soul of the party that other people like her for too so she's sort of very good at oscillating between those two worlds whereas um irene is is not as comfortable and and not as savvy no definitely she we do open the film though with irene doing a little bit of passing on her own um but she kind of does it when it suits her rather than making it a way of life as Claire has obviously done. So Claire has, when we meet her, she has kind of almost completely disappeared into this. And then she kind of latches on to Irene as the link that she doesn't want to lose. I think to, uh, to her past, even though she spent the past, however many years, um, trying to push it away. Yeah. It's almost like she has a, you know, sort of, a newfound um, interest in it, almost. But um, 
there's a couple of things that bugged me about the film, um, even though I really, really liked it overall. Um, I think it does get a little bit bogged down when when Irene has her downward spiral and um, there's that period where she's, you know, jealous of Claire taking her husband away and you get her dropping the dish and all of that business, which <laughs> it that kind of... It wasn't bad, but I think the film is, is so special in other ways that that period of it felt a little bit derivative of other things. Um, it, it just sort of felt a bit by the numbers in a way that the rest of the movie didn't. Um, so I think it does lose a little bit of its luster in, in that period, which was a shame. Yeah, no, I agree. That um, part was on, the only part of the film that kind of dragged a bit for me. Um, because as you say, it was on, it was very by the book, very on the nose, you know, the dropping of the dish is such a cliched moment that, um, it, it just didn't play well for me. Although I did kind of like that overall arc of her being jealous of Claire and her husband, um, kind of projecting her own jealousies and insecurities and, you know, seeing things i don't think claire and brian um i don't think they ever do you think they ever have an affair like or fool around or anything like that because i didn't get that impression i i kind of sensed that they were sort of pally i think it could have gone there it could have developed in that way but i think it was more that she knew that maybe she was a guy's girl in general but um, I think she sort of knew what he wanted. He wanted a um, a drinking buddy, a, you know, a, a party girl, and that's what she gave him. So I don't necessarily see that as a romance. I just think it's her, again, morphing into what she can sense other people wanting of her, um, which she's obviously had to work on for a long time, given given the story. What did you think of the ending? How did you read that as in terms of blame? It seemed to... I mean, it's definitely ambiguous, and I don't think that... um, There is... The film doesn't really give a clear answer. I think my interpretation of it is that Claire accidentally on purpose kind of went out the window. Like, I, I don't think that Irene pushes her. I don't think that John pushes her i think that it is an accident but maybe subconsciously she realized that this was the end of the road for her and she maybe was less careful around the open window than she should have been yeah yeah that that seems like a pretty fair reading of it to me yeah it i definitely didn't think it was um intentional um in either sense but yeah it's it does seem like clara's during that party is sort of in a different place is sort of like daydreaming a bit when, when she sees uh, the husband come in and, and maybe that makes her a little bit um, less careful, like you said. Yeah. So what about the film's awards chances then? Well, I think definitely both Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson should be in the conversation for actress and, I've seen people talking about Ruth Nega as supporting, although I think they're probably 
more co-leads to me. I mean, I know it's more Irene's story, but Claire definitely has a lot of screen time and she we do see her arc a bit. So if if I was going to put one or the other into one or the other, it would definitely be Tessa Thompson as the lead. But, you know, I could see them both being lead. Yeah, I could see. I mean, that won't be what's happening. Uh, that won't no. happen in the awards. But I, I can see an argument for that. I think Negger is borderline. It, it could go either way for me. Um, but yeah, I definitely think, I think probably Negger has more of a chance. Um, as it, it seems a bit of, it's more of a vibrant role. Um, and she has been nominated before. But yeah. other than that, I could see maybe um, adapted screenplay for Rebecca Hall. It's a very, very assured adaptation. Um, and maybe a long shot bet for costumes as well. Yeah, costumes or maybe maybe cinematography as well. Yeah. So no shot at best picture. Well, it does worry me that it's it's very very understated overall. Pretty much every element of it's understated, uh, which is not usually what the Academy goes for. But the Academy is changing. You know, this is very female centric again, which is not usually what the Academy goes for. But the Academy's changing again. So at some point this will be um this would be um a best picture nominee, but I'm not sure about this year. Um maybe a little bit too much competition, but I think it definitely deserves a nomination for sure. Yeah, same. Well any more on passing? Nope. All right, then let's move on to a film that I think is almost assured of a Best Picture nomination. Um, Spencer. Why do you think that it's um, assured of a Best Picture nomination? Is that because of the quality of the film? Um, or is this for an Oscar friendly topic? More for the fact that it's kind of Oscar baity. Um, it's, it's a historical fiction biopic about a well-known figure, um, very kind of lavishly produced. Um, it's, and biopics always do well. And it seems, it seems designed for a best picture nomination designed for having plenty of Oscar clips to show off its lead actress and other elements of it. Um, especially now that they've started doing clips for every category, this is a very clippable film. Um, so I, I think it'll get best. I think it'll get a best picture nomination and then definitely an actress nomination. Well, I think it'll definitely get a best actress nomination. Well, I say definitely. Um, but I mean, I've been, I think everybody's thinking that Kristen Stewart is, is the front runner or definitely going to get a nomination, but, I'm a little less bullish about her chances, certainly for the win, for a couple of reasons. Um, And one is her own standing in Hollywood, which I'm not convinced she's as respected overall as some of the other actresses that she's up against here in this race. And, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that she's similar in every role, doesn't have much range, etc. Um, But the other being that Princess Diana herself is a divisive figure 
uh, certainly to royalists and the, the people that are anti Harry and Meghan are the kind of people that were against Diana as well. Um, so I still feel like a vote for her is a vote against the royal family in some way. Um, but I, I could be wrong. Um, but did, did you think that the film was anti-monarchist? Um, not necessarily anti-monarchist. It definitely is anti-this monarchy. Um, or or these this particular royal family in this particular situation. But... It, yeah, its sympathy definitely lies with its title character firmly with its title character and the brief glimpses we get of the royal family are uniformly negative. So um, I think yeah, if, if you are a strong royalist or a strong monarchist, um, it doesn't show the lovable queen that you know and love that you don't know, obviously, but you think you know, whatever. I don't, I'm not a monarchist myself, so I don't really get the um, the Gaga ness that the royal family inspires. But I think if you are Gaga for them, you won't like the film. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a big monarchist either, um, and I'm pretty sympathetic towards Diana. I think the film could be a lot more anti royal family. Honestly, I think yeah, Diana's portrayed as sort of living in in a living hell here but I think there's as much about the film that suggests that she's the wrong person to be in this family rather than that this family is wrong for the UK um, or that other monarchies overall are wrong I think it's very much about the fact that this is she's married into the wrong this is not the right place for her um, quite emphatically you know because it, it, it's <laughs> It's very much. I think Loran has said it's it's sort of like a fever dream. He's he's called it, but it very much felt to me like Diana was almost like a, a ballerina in a music box, sort of being slowly enveloped by all of this luxury and an ornateness and a sort of ornate lack of personality. And that's that's what you get with these, um, you know, the representation of the Queen and Prince Charles. They're not warm. They don't say horrible things to her necessarily, but they're just not warm people. They're cold personalities. Um, they're barely personalities. So this is kind of what the film's going for. And visually, it's incredibly impressive. And I think it's it sort of reminded me a little bit of Anna Karenina uh, of a few years ago, which I think this is kind of what Joe Wright was going for with with Anna Karenina having parallels certainly to um, the story of Diana. Um, but I think maybe where that didn't quite pull it off, this is the real deal. I mean, on a on a craft level, it should be getting multiple nominations, surely. Yes, definitely. I, I can see it getting several craft nominations. And as a psychological horror film, I think it works really well. Um, and... I think if you, if this, I would like this more if it was just about a woman trapped in a rich family that she's not, that she's out of place in and feeling suffocated. I, um, and since it is going for a, his, for a kind of historical fiction take on Diana, it definitely leaves out 
a lot of things or just kind of glosses over a lot of things that would get in the way of the look at this poor woman suffocating under the weight of this psychological trauma. And they have to leave out so much that if you know the things they leave out, it kind of, uh, I think it kind of undermines the message of the film. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't sympathize with the real figure of, of Princess Diana. I do. I think she definitely had a hard time. But the the film kind of makes her out to be like this commoner who gets swept up in <laughs> the royal family and doesn't know what's going on and has to be told by Prince Charles, you know, how to behave as a royal. And... First of all, at this point, haven't they been married for a decade? Like, have they, you know, she's been part of the royal family for 10 years and he's just having the talk with her. And <laughs> and before that, and the film doesn't talk about this at all, she was basically royalty already, right? She was a member of an extremely aristocratic family, an extremely rich family. She knew that you had your media persona and your real persona. That was part of her life before Charles came along. So the the film just kind of ignores that and kind of makes you believe that, nah, she just wants McDonald's and to bum around in the car with her kids singing um, pop songs. So, yeah. So yeah. All, all... And in the, um, the cafe truck stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she just waltzes into the into the cafe truck stop and says, "Does anyone know where we, uh, the way to Sandringham or wherever she is?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. I mean, that was. I don't know if you've seen the Naomi Watts Diana, but they they really went in that direction in that movie to a you know far bigger extent, um, where she was sort of sleeping with this doctor and you know. Uh, chugging takeaway from Chicken Cottage, and <laughs> it was um, it was sort of it. It went a little further to that direction, but we, you know, I mean, these people know that the way of life they're in. Um, and I don't think somebody can be wholly prepared for the royal family, but no elements of it can't have come as a surprise, um, right? But I think. But I mean, in terms of Stuart, she doesn't look a lot like Diana. And I don't think that matters because this movie, while it's historical fiction, it's not, it's pretty loose as a movie. It's, um, you know, it, what impressed me about it is that it's it's set within three days, which is a very defined structure. But within those three days, it flits about a lot. Um it's kind of it's a little bit manic at times, um, and yet the themes uh, and and the um, sort of music come to the surface so vis- uh, vividly, and create this portrait of somebody that was iconized, you know, themselves. So it is a bit of a Jackie situation. Jackie's I thought was excellent as well, yeah. where it's it's pretty loose with the structure. It's it's not biopicy in its structure. But all of those things still come to the fore, um, which I think is really impressive in terms of the direction. Um, but I think 
in terms of Stuart, her performance is big. It is campy. It is bold. Um, and it is attuned to the film in that way. It's attuned to the feel of the film. It's more embedded than it could have been. It doesn't feel like she's acting a different film. It all coalesces quite well. Yeah. No, like I said, just on a on a structural level and on a psychological horror level, I like the film a lot. I think um, as a film, qua film, it's really great. And I like her performance in it. Um, I'm not in love with it. Uh, I think it suits the film well. It's not exactly a masterclass in acting, but it suits the film quite well. I don't understand people who are saying that it is a subtle performance. I think, as you say, it's pretty campy. Um, Like, there's a part where she walks down the hallway screaming, leave me alone. Like, that's not subtle. And every emotion... Clutching of pearls. Yeah, literally. (laughs) And that that scene where, you know, she says to her lady-in-waiting, you know, take away, you know, leave me alone, I'm going to masturbate. And you can tell everyone that. It's like, yeah, okay. You know, we get it. You, you're upset. You're you're trapped. You're lashing out. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so not subtle at all, but suited for the film. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do think that I would be upset if um, Johnny Greenwood's score is not nominated. Which just... Yeah, very good score. And re- it's really inventive as well. Um, and also, I think the sound design won't get nominated because it's not the kind of film that gets a sound nomination. But I actually thought that mm-hmm. there was quite a lot involved in that. Do you think there's any chance Timothy Spall might get a supporting nomination? I could see it. I mean, he's mm. he and uh, Sally Hawkins have, you know, sort of big roles outside of that. I, I mean... They're small roles in comparison to Stuart's, but they they each get a scene or two um, that I could see being an Oscar clip. Uh, but I, I mean, neither are going to be head of the pack. I, I would think that if they get nominated, it would be because of, you know, kind of on the back of the film, maybe like a tail court nomination. Yeah. All right, then we go on to Tick, Tick. Boom. I have to include the ellipsis in the in the title of the film. <laughs> so this is Lynn Manuel Miranda's um, feature film directorial debut, I believe, and it is based on the life of a Broadway composer, Jonathan Larson, who I haven't heard of before watching this film. Uh, who, but I found out that he is the writer-composer of Rent, so, you know, pretty big deal. Yeah, I <laughs> I had seen Rent and thought it was sort of um, endlessly cheesy, uh, which, which, <laughs> which did uh, put me off a little, uh, watching, you know, watching this mm-hmm. film. I was thinking, oh, God. And at the beginning, it took me a while to get over to get over the oh godness because the beginning is very song heavy without the story moving along much um you know he's like this this broke waiter and things are not happening for him and 
that period of the film drags a lot. Um, so, but I think once it gets to the workshop um, of his musical and, and the breakup, that's when the film really took flight and it ended up winning me over in a, in a big way because um, before that I was worried, honestly. I was not enjoying it until about half an hour in and then I think things really start to take off. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of the true of a lot of musicals, right? That they they kind of pack the songs into the beginning before the plot really takes off to kind of, I don't know, just establish their musical credentials a bit and try to just draw you in on a just a music-loving level. And it either works or it doesn't. And in here, I think I agree with you that it's a little too song-dense to really work. And yeah, but yeah, after that, it starts to get better. I have to say, I'm not, I, I find, I found the whole thing uh, kind of middle of the road musical, kind of hitting all the boxes of a musical and moving along with standard musical pace and ending as a musical just does. So. I'm not I'm not amazingly blown away by it. I enjoyed it all right. I think I gave it like a middle of the road three stars on Letterboxd. Uh, I don't hate it, but I don't love it. That was my uh, takeaway. Yeah, it's interesting that this is a a debut. I think you can tell it's a directorial debut. Um, in some ways, you know, Lin Manuel Miranda. I think. Make has some novice moments, shall we say? It. I think, but the I think he gets away with it because, you know, the the visual style of the film is very chaotic, but it's sort of strangely appropriate for the story that it's telling. You know, it it's a bit. I mean, it's not quite like Diana, but the, the lead performance from Andrew Garfield is very big, um, and you know, yeah. Larson is is portrayed as such a scattered and unpredictable person that there is a kind of synergy between the characterization and the visual style, which is kind of all over the place. Um, but there are bits that stick out in the in the wrong ways. Like for some reason, the film and this is a spoiler um, for anyone listening or doesn't know the, the real story, but um, there's a there's a voiceover narration explaining that Larson died near the end. It just comes from absolutely nowhere. And I think, you know, it didn't have a voiceover before. Why have you decided to do that? Why wouldn't you just sort of end, like have a title credit that said that or, and then do the rest of the film and the, the big number at the end anywhere, maybe even over the credits. I don't know. I just kept watching it. I thought, you know, Fossey would never have done that. <laughs> it would have been you know he would have found a way to make that work and it as it was it it felt really tacked on yeah definitely did um actually i mean whenever i see a musical i'm curious how fossey would have done it but yeah it's like they they do mention at the am i misremembering don't they mention that he dies at the start maybe briefly but it it's it, again it feels tacked on yeah, 
Yeah, it, both of them feel tacked on in a kind of a way that they're like, they couldn't figure out how to work that in, so they just decided to throw narration on. And yeah, without having narration for the rest of the film, it doesn't make any sense. Um, um, but, I mean, some some of the songs I think are really impactful. I really like the breakup song where it's he and Vanessa Hudgens. I think it's called Therapy. Yeah, that was definitely a highlight. Yeah, and also the one that she sings, it's not great, but the one that she uh, he finally decides to write this song. No, a, a lot of the songs are decent. Um, and at least they, even if they're not amazing, they have that kind of raucous energy that fits the rest of the film. Um, it was pretty funny, actually, that the opening song is about turning 30 in 1990, because we have another film from this year, Bo Burnham's Inside. He was born in 1990, and he has a song in it about turning 30 uh, <laughs> last year. So nice, nice bridge. I haven't seen that one yet, but I've heard it's amazing. No, it's. Um, I remember it being very good. Um, I'd have to watch it again to see if it's stayed amazing. But yeah, it was very, very good. Yeah, I recommend that. Um, I suppose we have to mention Stephen Sondheim who died um on friday and um yeah he his uh he's a character in this movie and you know many of jonathan larson's songs did have you know sort of sondheim elements to them um but his i think his presence in the film as a character and a musical influence was quite an engaging through line uh you know throughout so i thought that that worked definitely yeah, he he was the very fine elder statesman of musical theater, and yeah, he his presence kind of permeated everything. It's interesting because I I watched the film, and then after I watched it on Friday, and then after I finished, I checked online and found out that he died uh, that day. So that was kind of a sad coincidence. And um, it's interesting. I just read this before we started, that he actually does appear in the film. The voice message that he leaves for Jonathan at the end is not Bradley Whitford, who played Stephen Sondheim in the film. It's actually Stephen Sondheim leaving the message, which is pretty cool. Oh, wow. Oh, that is cool. That's glad that um, he had one one little cameo um, at the end. Um, So, in terms of Andrew Garfield, because the the film seems to be being talked up in terms of his performance. Could his performance get into the best actor category? Did you think he was good, uh, worthy? What are his chances? I think they're definitely pushing him hard. And it's the kind of performance that will probably get, if not a nomination, at least very, very close to one. I think if it does get nominated as a in that it's the only one that it really deserves. Um, I, I can't really see it getting nominated in any other category, especially since the songs aren't eligible. So I I think he does a good job. I don't know if I would give him a nomination for this, but I definitely think he has a better than 50% chance. I think it's definitely one of the best I've seen him, because um, I'm not a huge fan of his overall, and especially... His uh, nomination for Hacksaw Ridge, I thought was incredibly generous because that's a really terrible movie. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's good in the social network. I think here, the Academy doesn't often go for, for actors in musicals, you know, that there have not been many in the past. Um, I think the last one was Ryan Gosling, Hugh Jackman recently, but um, mm-hmm. I think they tend to prefer actresses and this doesn't seem like it would be an across-the-board nominee in, in many categories, this film, so that won't help him either. So I think it's pos- possibility, not a probability. Yeah, that's a good way to characterize it. Yeah. Oh, please, do we have to move on? Let's move on to um, The Beast in the Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Teton, the... French submission this year for um, Best International Feature Film. And I suppose I have to give France credit for really kind of swinging for the fences. Like, this is a film that is either going to, you know, you either love it or hate it, I think. Um, it's a it's a very visceral, divisive film, it seems. Um, and, they're, yeah, choosing it as the nominee is very ballsy. So I appreciate that aspect of it definitely yeah ballsy um but perhaps foolish i mean i i think oh foolish absolutely foolish yeah well what what shocked me that i read a couple of days ago is that um france have not won this oscar in 30 years which is kind of insane um given how how well they've done with nominations and wins in the past and this did play in can it won the Palm Door despite extreme reactions, um, which I think was surprising for for many people. Um, and they did uh, narrow their selection down to three films, France, all by women filmmakers, which were Petit Maman uh, by Celine Sharma and Happening by Audrey Devan, which won the Golden Lion. So both the Golden Lion and Palm Door going to French female directors this year. Um, but I think, I mean, to me, they have made some questionable choices recently by submitting films mostly that felt too safe um, for Oscar and, and that they should have been picked 20 years ago. I'm thinking particularly of when they chose Renoir and um, films like that, that, that they're sort of, you know, what you kind of remember France for, um, but but lack a bit of... Uh, 21st century appeal you know um, whereas this does have 21st century appeal <laughs> but um, maybe is is too crazy for some but I I just wonder I, I, I for me I worry that there are so many festival titles submitted nowadays that this the divisiveness will not help this get you know, certainly it certainly got no chance at winning, um, but I also think it it'll have tr- trouble getting a nomination too. Yeah, definitely. I I don't see it getting nominated. And this is even with the committee that they still have committees um, to select part of the lineup, I believe. Um, but it, I there are just other festival options. I think that that could get in, but we could be wrong. I mean, we could be wrong, but in terms of the movie, it took me a while to get into it. 
there are a series of sequences where you've got Alexia, who's played by Agatha Roussel, murdering people for seemingly no reason. Um, and there is no reason, apparently, that this kind of gets explained away when it's kind of mentioned that she's a, a wanted serial killer and there's a sense maybe this is not the first time she's murdered that we see, um, but that's unclear. Um, but I think, you know, for the first... For the first third, it's pretty much endless violence without any consequence. And then the movie starts starts having a plot. And that's when I got into it a little bit more. But it was it, it's a real struggle. Um, the first half especially was a real struggle for me. Yeah. Well, honestly, I kind of had the opposite trajectory with it. I'm not saying that I loved the first half of the film. It was nauseating and pointlessly violent like yeah she's definitely a wanted serial killer but it doesn't it never explains why she's a serial killer why she murders everyone she meets why anything um and it's not how could this be the first time she's had sex with a car how has she not gotten knocked up with a demon baby before but whatever um <laughs> so Honestly, the the first act, senseless, violent, cruel, disgusting. I liked it a lot. Um, But after this film decided, oh, wait, we need a plot. That's honestly where it kind of lost me. Um, I'm not saying that I wanted it to continue with just her murdering everyone she meets and, you know, making me physically sick because it did. When I was watching it in the theater, I was like, oh, "God, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna throw up here." Um, quick aside: what the first half was missing for me was any kind of sense of humor. It's just portraying senseless violence, and in a very realistic, disturbing way. But you know, a dark, violent comedy, I could get behind more than just that because it's just provocation for the sake of it. Because as we say, it's never explained. It's never. It's just kind of forgotten later in the film. So what the fuck was the point? But anyway, then when the story starts, I I don't like that part at all. And it really kind of bothered me more than the senseless violence because it seemed to be trying to have a point about something that I really didn't think was supported by the film itself. Um, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I agree that it was tenuous. Tenuous, like, yeah. The comedy. There is only one bit of comedy, which is when the woman, the woman's son, is being resuscitated, and the woman just collapses as well. <laughs> That's pretty much the only bit of comedy. Yeah, in the film. <laughs> um, unless you count the the car going at it like the clappers, um, comedy, which was, was kind of funny. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, I. I mean, the thing is, it, it's when Vincent Landon came into the film, I began to appreciate it because I do think he's really good in it, and it's sort of strange because the film doesn't have a character study of its main character. Really, mm-hmm. I thought that 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 felt very tenuous. That it then she she then couldn't kill him. Um, 
which is sort of saying, you know, is he a, the father figure she never had? I thought thought there was sort of hinting at things that were never fully realised and it never managed to convince me um, about that it's, that its main character was human in any way, you know, and that, and that was a problem. Whereas his character did feel believably tortured, you know, he, he did, you know, have that desperation to have a son and um, he had all these young guys around him in the workforce. And I think he does get across the emotion of somebody sort of destroyed themselves already. And, you know, kind of looking for that version of him back when he had a family, etc. So in that sense, I think his performance and his character worked, but not in relation to hers. Um, and that that's where it felt disconnected. It felt uneven in a lot of ways. So it struggled to get me back. I was never on her side in any way. Um, but... I mean, I think visually the film is good and and certainly prosthetically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it has a good production design budget for sure. And it looks, you know, it looks good, even in its most disgusting moments. I I echo your, you know, praise for um, Vincent Lindon. I'm trying to pronounce it right, but I'm probably not. Um... He his character is the emotional center of the whole thing. So when he he arrives, it does kind of signal that oh, now we can give a shit about somebody in the movie. <laughs> he is completely delusional, um, and his desperation for a son is brilliantly acted and brilliantly shown. But this is also where the film kind of made me angry because he has that very tender moment with her and he has that line um, which is whoever you are you are my son which is a beautiful line taken completely out of context but within the context of the film he's saying it to a literal serial murderer who has usurped his missing son's identity to trick him and avoid arrest for her many psychopathic crimes. And that is not a great message. Because it's not like a father saying to his gay or transgender or or otherwise non-heteronormative son, you know, you're my son, I love you no matter what. It's a man talking to a woman who is posing as his son. And that's not, I'm not trying to be, you know, transphobic or anything. That's literally the plot of the film. And that's why it really kind of bothers me when people are saying that this is a transgender, a a film that is like positive to transgenderism. And if anything, it's the worst stereotypes that anti-trans people have that, transgender people are just posing or they are only transitioning to win at sports or that they are violent and unbalanced and they are predators. This is the worst transphobic trash. And to have people say that this is somehow positive about transgenderism or that 
or that Alexia is a transgender person is is really kind of galling and that's really what turns me off most about this film it, it didn't come across to me as as um pro transgender in any way um i mean it's certainly not uh boys don't cry in that way you know that had so much going on and uh was a lot deeper you know but i think in in terms of the character i didn't understand why alexia goes to such extreme lengths to evade justice because to me that person acted with such wanton abandon that that didn't fit in for me I'd, I think she would have happily have gone to prison and been a complete you know nightmare in prison and probably had to be in a padded cell so I'd, I don't I didn't understand the thought process behind acting as this missing person um, especially when you just see a poster and then start breaking your own limbs. And that was um, <laughs> that was a little bit of a bolt from the blue, and I didn't really get why she was doing it until afterwards, to be honest. But it's... Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I don't know, because I, I, I did think that Julia DeCono's previous film, Raw, was quite good um, and was quite feminist in certain ways. But I don't see this as feminist particularly and what do you make about the end i don't know by that point i'd pretty much checked out um it's just more nonsense to me and i I think that the i think that the film was building to that as the end but it didn't really have any emotional impact on me um especially when it was immediately preceded by more kind of incestuous kissing and touching between Vincent and Alexia, which was another weird kind of motif of the film. Um, so the the birth was supposed to be, I guess, the big culmination of, of all of the body horror that we'd been seeing, but it, it didn't really land for me. I was just ready for the film to end by that point. So beyond the international feature film category, could this get into makeup? Um, I'm just thinking based on the Academy, does have a recent history of being kind to foreign nominees in the makeup category um, with Border and the one on George Old Man that jumped out the window or whatever that was called. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, this is might be a little bit harder to take. Yeah. I, I kind of don't see it having a chance outside of foreign language film or international feature, sorry. And even that would be a long shot in my mind. I mean, I think it's I think it's a chance it makes the shortlist, but I don't see it as a nominee. It would surprise me too, because I think there are plenty of other options there. I agree. Have you got? Have you sufficiently got it all out of your system? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, just to say, I, I don't think this film will be talked about at all a year from now. Everybody's treating it like, you know, it's this new force in cinema or it's this amazing film, film of the year, blah, blah, blah. I think a year from now, nobody will be talking about it. You could be right. Um, and maybe we're both wrong and it gets the nomination, but we'll see. Uh... Okay, we have a website. It's categoricallyoscars.com. We're on Twitter at categoricallyo. 
what are we going to talk about next time? What have you seen? Are we are we doing Power of the Dog? Yeah, next time we'll definitely do Power of the Dog. Uh, it's dropping on Netflix, and so I will definitely watch that. You've seen it already, right? I've seen it, yeah. I'm eager to, to hear what you think. It's it's certainly very interesting with its themes. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we'll watch that. Um, I want to see Mass. If I could get a find a way to see that, maybe we can talk about Mass. Um, Flea. Yes, we could we talk can about that if we're able to watch it. Yep, I definitely think that has a stronger chance than Teton of getting into the category. So I would like to talk about that. Um, so yeah, definitely those, and we'll just see what else see where else it takes us. Have you seen? I think this is definitely an Oscar long shot. But have you seen Pig? I have not seen Pig, but I would love to to see. It's on my list and has been for a while because um, I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah. I, I would be very surprised if that gets any Oscar traction, but I would still love to talk about it. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll pretend. <laughs> okay. All right. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back with a new episode discussing the Oscar hopefuls uh, soon. See you then. Actions speak louder than...